wow. I, I, you know, I can't imagine a better way. That was the perfect way for us to kick off this series that we're starting today, virtual reality. Just to kind of let the, the music and the lights and the video and the smoke just kind of wash over you because that's what virtual reality is. It's, a, it's an immersion experience. I, I thought I'd just kind of do a little research and, and find out because I, I know we're all familiar with the term virtual reality, but when we use it, what are we talking about? This is how the Oxford Online Dictionary describes virtual reality. It is the computer-generated simulation of a three-dimensional image or environment that can be interacted with in a seemingly real or physical way. In a seemingly real or physical way. When you, when you say the words virtual reality, man, it quickens the pulses of, of gamers and tech entrepreneurs and coders around the world for obviously very, very different reasons. But virtual reality is going well beyond video games. It's making huge advances and strides in, in medicine in engineering, city planning, the military, on and on and on it goes. And it's one of those things that, you know, just by virtue of putting on a pair of goggles, you can have one of these immersive experiences where, I don't know, let's just say, for example, maybe you are deep sea diving. We're salvaging and, whoa, hey, good buddy. What's happening? Look at that dude. Good. Is that blood on his mouth? I kind of think it is. Anyway, we're salvaging an old sunken, oh, there's another one, cool, okay, two of them, salvaging this sunken submarine that's over there, hey, bud, golly, look at that, whoa, yeah, you know, it's one thing when you watch it on TV, yeah. watch it on TV, but he's hungry, yeah, the light is all yours, bruh, go ahead, Look at that. Oh. Okay, this is virtual, but he just took the front of the cage with him. That is not cool. Golly, look at that. I know you're just watching. I'm going to tell you, it is oh, underneath. Uh, okay, cool. Where did he? Okay, whoa. Here he comes. Good. Is that unbelievable? Whoa! Hey, big fella. Fired up as time. Okay, whoa. Ah. I'll be honest with you, this is a little. Oh. Okay, wait, stop, stop, make it stop. I don't want to play anymore. Ah. Golly. Now I know you think you could see on the screen, but I'm going to tell you something. When you've got those goggles on, that is like, whoa, mind blowing. And you know it's not real, but still, how's my hair? Be like, what's left of it? I got to take good care of it. My goodness, that, that's virtual reality. Just, just a little example of what's possible through technology. That, that with the help of these goggles, technology can alter what we think we see. 
where we think we are, how we feel, and, and, and therefore it can alter what we do, how we interact in this seemingly real environment. You know, virtual reality is actually one of the primary functions of the original technology that God loaded between every single one of our ears. Our minds, long before we're ever aware of it, our minds are constantly shaping and reshaping our perception of the world and how it functions, our place in it against over and against other people's places in the world. And it's this virtual reality machine right here on top of our shoulders that determines largely what we think about, how we make choices and decisions, and ultimately what we really and truly do with our lives. And that's why I'm so excited about this series, Virtual Reality, because over the next few weeks as a church, we want to go into some arenas and into some depths that allows, that not only, allows is the wrong word, that invites God to change the way we think, to, to alter our perceptions, to actually grasp not just virtual reality, but actual reality. What's really and truly going on in this world according to God? Who has a better grasp of reality than the God who created everything that is, everything that is real? And it's going to be an incredible journey that God has for us. I also want you to know as excited as I am, as much of a game changer as I believe this series will be for us individually and collectively as a church family, it's not going to be a walk in the park. Because the fact of the matter is we're all going to have to kind of put on our thinking caps from time to time. We're going to move from being philosophers. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, we're all philosophers. Every single one of us. The word philosophy means a lover of wisdom. You love a particular brand of wisdom. Somewhere along the way, you decided what you were going to believe, what you were going to think, and how you were going to operate. That's a philosophy. That's your operating system, if you will. So we're going to put on a philosopher's cap. We'll become ethicists. We'll take a look at what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. And ultimately, we, we might even play a little armchair psychologist along the way to, to really consider how our minds operate in conjunction with our personalities, with our experiences. All of this while we're conducting an examination of the most challenging subject ever known, ourselves. Studying ourselves is one of the most challenging things that we will ever do. But the great news, actually the good news of Jesus, is that the gospel is hope. The good news of Jesus is life. The good news of Christ is healing for maybe some broken thought patterns because we were using faulty goggles all along. I want you to look in your Bibles in the book of Proverbs chapter 3 as we begin this study together. As we begin this study, the gospel of Jesus absolutely stands conventional thinking on its head. The gospel invites us, the, the gospel calls us to not rely on how we think things ought to be or how we think things are, but instead to trust him more than we trust ourselves. 
Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. It says in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all, say all, all, all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Now, there's, there's a lot just packed into just that one passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So first of all, we understand that, that trusting in God for understanding and wisdom and discernment and how we think for our virtual reality machines is ultimately and primarily a relational exercise. Trusting in God means that we are connected to him. We, we relate to him personally. Wisdom or, or knowledge and reality, this isn't something that we scale a mountaintop to talk to a guru about. This isn't you know, something we cross the ocean for, but rather we just decide that we're going to trust God more than we trust ourselves. What does it say also? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. That means with every part of who you are. The Old Testament concept of the heart obviously went a lot deeper than just, just that boom, 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 muscle in the middle of our chest. The idea of a heart to the Hebrew mindset, to the Jewish mindset, is, is all-encompassing our soul. Trust in God with every single part of who you are. Do not depend on your own understanding. Do not depend on your own understanding. This requires humility. This requires us to humble ourselves before God and say, I don't know it all. Right now, I want you to do something real, real quick. I want you to look at your neighbor and with a smile, everybody smile. And this is important. You need to smile, okay? Smiling is good. With a smile, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't understand it all. Now, some of you, that was painful for you. Some of you, as a matter of fact, just kind of mumbled it, hoping that it wouldn't be held against you later. Some of you fought the urge to shout, to shout, amen, you don't understand it all. And congratulations to you who did that. But the fact of the matter is, as human beings, our understanding, our inherent wisdom, our, our innate get-it factor is significantly finite and severely flawed. That's why God tells us as an act of grace, don't lean on your own understanding. These, the, some of the older translations of the Bible will say, do not lean on your own understanding. Don't just not depend on it, but don't lean on it. If you lean on something, you, you put all your weight on it. I, I come over here to this podium, put all my weight on it, all 181 pounds of twisted blue steel. I'm down a little from Christmas. I'm, I'm trusting this podium right now. How bad would that be if this thing gave way right now? Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't, don't lean on the understanding of, of Tony Robbins, of Oprah, of Wolf Blitzer or Sean Hannity. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now that's not to say that we can't learn from people. We can always learn and glean some of God's truth, some of God's reality from different sources that he has touched. 
that he has given wisdom and insight to. But ultimately, I will choose to trust in the Lord. Verse 6, Proverbs chapter 3 says this. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now again, I think it's really important, if you're new to the Bible or you're new to church in general, when the Bible says to fear the Lord, what that means is this massive sense of reverent awe, to reverence the Lord. It, we, we know for a fact it doesn't mean to be afraid of God, to, to cower in fear from God, because we know elsewhere from the Bible that true love casts out all fear. And whatever you want to believe about God, you can know that God is love. He is good. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is judge. Yes, he is righteous. All of those things are true. And he is love and he is good. So we can trust him. We fear the Lord in reverence. We recognize he is God and I am not. And we we humble ourselves and we're aware of his capacity for judgment But ultimately, we want to connect with God. We want want to relate to him personally. So we seek his will in all that we do, and he will show you which path to take. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Love God and do the right thing. And it's fascinating to me. I've wondered about this a lot throughout my life, 51 years on this earth. There have been a lot of times when I have faced what I would call a moral dilemma. How many of you have ever faced a moral dilemma? Let me just see a show of hands. Moral dilemma people in the room. I've thought about this a lot. You and I have moral dilemmas. God has never had a moral dilemma. There's never been a situation or a circumstance or a choice to make where where God sat at this fork in the road and thought, hmm, I don't know what to do here. This is so, God has never had that moment. He will show you the path. If we seek his will, if we seek his reality and his truth, Now, you and I live in a world that is truth-challenged, reality-challenged. We we live in a world, how many times have we said or thought or heard, perception is reality. Perception is reality. And at a certain level, that's true. Because our perception forms the reality that we act on. But that doesn't mean that our perception is always accurate. There are times when we can be engaged in a conversation with someone and we can assign blame to them for something that they never intended. How many of you are married in the room? Let me just see a show of hands for the married folks. Okay? How many of you are married women? Keep hands up, ladies. Awesome. I have heard from a trusted source that sometimes you all have arguments when we are not even in the room. Is that an accurate say? If you've ever done that, let me just see a show of hands. That's okay. This is church. This is family. Julie told me this. 
She said, some of our most heated conversations happen and you're not even in the house. Because I have something that's, she says, something that's bothering her and I want to bring it up with you, but then I start to anticipate what you're going to say, then I form what I'm going to say, and I know what you're going to say after that. And then it goes on and on and on, and then I'm like, there's just no point. Now, that's Julie's perception. And, and, and listen, men, let's not get smug. We, we do the same thing, you know? Men, we, we do that on a regular basis. I think, well, I mean, I, you know, I might reach out and hold her hand and start to kiss her, but I can tell it's not a good time to do that, so I'm just going to sit here and watch TV and flip channels. Men, how many of you have done that? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. That was a trap. But we, we form these concepts and these, these virtual realities in our minds, don't we? God says, no, 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 no. Trust him with every single part of your lives. Trust him to show you the right path. Trust him to guide your feet, to guide your words. Trust him with every single thing that you do. When Julie and I were first moved to Austin over 20 years ago, we discovered through, a mut- through another friend that someone very important in our lives was a habitual liar. I would say a pathological liar, but I'm not a diagnostician. I can't diagnose that. And just to give you some, some framework, this was somebody that we really, really knew. This was somebody that we trusted. I mean, his integrity was above reproach to us. We, we were doing life together. They, they had helped us get Lake Hills Church started. And a mutual friend called to share with Julie the information that they had about this pattern of deception throughout this guy's life. And it, it was one of those events. I don't know if you've ever had an experience with a chronic, habitual liar, somebody who has detached from reality. But it is a really, really disconcerting, disorienting experience. And when Julie called to tell me that this had happened, our friend had called her, both of us, for about 45 minutes, spent some time wondering, who's telling the truth here? Because if our friend who is talking about this close friend of ours who's the habitual liar, what if this friend over here is setting this one up for reasons that we don't understand that are kind of nefarious. And what if this guy's still the good guy that we think he is, but this guy's the habitual liar? And so for about 45 minutes, it, it was like the ground underneath my feet was shifting and shaking. And, and it was like, a, it was like a, an integrity earthquake in my life is, is what it felt like. For 45 minutes of my life, there was one person in the world that I trusted. And it was Julie. I didn't trust my closest friends. I didn't trust their spouses. I didn't trust what I thought I knew about everybody. And I was kind of betwixt and between. And finally, as we talked this through and reasoned it out, we saw that the facts lined up. And and this guy who had been accused actually was the habitual, chronic deceiver and and had a really significant problem. And, and, And all of a sudden, kind of things started to settle down. And we're like, okay. I can deal with that as long as everything else over here is as I thought it was. The fact of the matter is, 
unless we know how to choose what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false, what's good and what's foul, then our lives will always be somewhat, at least somewhat, and maybe a lot, unsteady, shaking, unsure. That's why God calls us to trust in Him with every single thing that we have. You know, we live in this world where perception is reality, and and, and currently the the mantra or the, the saying over and over, live your truth, live your truth, live your truth, and And I understand that, but we do understand, too, what happens when somebody lives their truth and it sacrifices the dignity and the decency of someone else. When there's a virtual who's who roll call of Hollywood producers and celebrities, household name news anchors, politicians, comedians, all who have admitted to sexual assault or, or even even sexual harassment then those guys they, they were living their truth their truth was that they were entitled to take whatever they wanted from whomever they wanted whenever they wanted it no matter what and so we would look at that and, and every single one of us with half of a shred of humanity would say well that's clearly out of bounds that's obviously wrong but but what about in our own lives when it's not quite so black and white, when we do get to those, those dilemma moments and we're not sure which way to go, it's into that void that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ speaks life and hope and, and healing and Jesus calls us into something because the reality is to live your truth can be very, very different from living the truth. And this is our challenge, is to understand that God decides what's true. God decides what's real. Our job is to discover and then deploy that truth in and through our lives. And to be people who live out the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel is all about. Jesus said this in a really profound way in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, He said, verse 31, to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but at God's favorite university, on the main building at the University of Texas are inscribed these words. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, I say that it's God's favorite university because I went to seminary and I've studied these things. That's the truth. But that doesn't mean that currently the University of Texas is embodying or promoting those values. But there it is, carved in stone. But isn't there something about these words of Jesus that rings true to you? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says three things about truth here that that are really, really powerful. Number one, he, he says that truth is knowable. We actually can know 
the truth. We can know what's real in this world. And so it, it makes sense. It, it, it's in our best interest to actually seek that truth and that reality, to, to pursue it, to pray that God would reveal it to us and show it to us. That's part of why in God's creative genius and amazing grace, he's given us his word, the Bible. The Bible is God's word. Every word of it, inspired by the Holy Spirit, supernaturally communicated to highly flawed individuals like you and me. But because he is God, he supernaturally, miraculously protected that communication. And by the way, the translation of it down through the centuries so that we can rely on it, we can depend on it. We're going to talk about this throughout this series. But this is part of God's love for us. He's communicated his mind and his heart and his personality biblically to us. So Jesus says that we can know the truth. The second thing that Jesus says there in John chapter 8 is that the truth is doable. We can actually live it out. He says, you are truly my disciples if you hold to my teachings, if you do what I tell you to do. Next weekend, the big game, Super Bowl. You know what? I'm right there with you. I want Nick Foles to step up and just smack. But here's the thing. I, I am so impressed with the Patriots. They are unbelievable. I don't care. Love them, hate them, don't even care. It's impressive what they've done over the last 15 years. Tom Brady is 73 years old starting in the Super Bowl. None of which pertains to the sermon. But you know, Belichick has a, has a motto for his team. His motto is, do your job. Just do your job. What if every single one of us lived by that spiritual motto? What if we knew what our job was that God had created us for? And then every single morning that we got up to go, man, we, that was it. We were focused on doing our job. Just do your job. Jesus says, if you're truly my disciples, if you've connected with me in a real, personal way, through prayer, through metabolizing scripture, then, then you're going to do what it says. And, and here's the great news. A lot of times we get wrapped up in what the Bible tells us not to do. We, don't we kind of tend to focus on the thou shalt nots when we think about the commands? If we would focus on what it tells us to do, we don't have time for what it tells us not to do. It's amazingly simplifying and clarifying. But Jesus says it is knowable. It is doable. But that last thing that he says, he says, it is liberating. Truth is liberating. Four things I want you to take away from this about truth. Number one, truth facilitates growth. Truth facilitates growth. There is no progress without the truth. Meaning you, you got to know where you are in order to get to where God wants you to be. You, you got to know what's real. Standing in your shoes here this morning. Truth facilitates growth. Number two, truth fights 
fear, and anxiety. Truth fights fear and anxiety. Most of what we're afraid of, most of what makes us, all of us, anxious is usually something that hasn't happened yet. We're afraid of what might happen. We're afraid of possibly failing. Sometimes it's a fear of success. We're, oh man, if I, if I do that, then, then I'm going to, they're, they're going to expect more from me. I remember when our daughter Emily was in high school, she had really, really worked in chemistry too. I mean, she, she had, first of all, she worked to, to get Julie and me to let her drop the class. I'll, I'll never forget that conversation. She came in and she goes, it is literally hurting my brain to try to learn this. And Julie and I sat there and listened. And finally, Julie looked at her and she said, are you asking us if you can drop the class? She goes, Mom, I think it would be best for my future, for your grandchildren. She went on and on. And, and Julie just sat there and she went, you're not dropping the class. And I was like, Emily, I want you to struggle. She was like, well, then you're getting your wish. <laughs> but then she came home. She came home with like, a, like an 89 or a 90. She walked in the door. I will never forget this. She walked in the door and, you know, she kind of took it. Eighty-nine. Now what? <laughs> exactly like that. She is so much like her mother. And I'll never forget the, the pride and the sense of accomplishment that she had in that. And you know what I said to her? Every now and then as a parent, you have your moments. I said, Emily, I hate that for you. She was like, what do you mean you hate that? I said, now we know what you're capable of. You see, a lot of times we're afraid of stuff that hasn't even happened when we rely on the truth that God has revealed to us biblically, when we rely on the reality of his track record, which for the record is perfect, that fights the fear and anxiety in our lives. Truth fights that fear. Truth, number three, feeds friendship. Truth feeds friendship. People you can be truthful with, those are your best friends. Now, we have to be authentic with everybody. Everybody. We have to be our true selves, who God has created us to be. But God tells us biblically to be very, very wise and discerning about who we are transparent with. Be authentic with everybody, but transparent with a precious few. Don't tell your dreams to every single person who walks by you at Starbucks. Don't, don't, don't tell your greatest spiritual challenges and foibles to the guy who takes your laundry. Be authentic with everybody, but transparent with a precious few. And then, obviously, truth fuels freedom. There is freedom in truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's liberating to live in the truth. It's liberating. 
Now, those are, those are facts. Those, those, are, those are actually their immutable laws and principles that will never go away. Because that's how God's wired up the world to work. But you could still walk out of here today and go, man, that was, that was interesting. Interesting. Virtual reality, goggles, truth. What do I do? What, what, do, I, what do I do? This is a one-sentence sermon. I just completed the introduction to the sermon. Trust God's word. Trust God's word. The Bible is the most reliable book that has ever been printed. The Bible is God's word. From Genesis chapter 1 to just before the beginning of maps, the Bible is God's word. This is truth. Now, my perception of it always needs work, always can grow, always can develop. But this truth is knowable. This truth is doable. This truth is liberating. This becomes the goggles for everything that I think, everything that I feel, everything that I do. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But the Bible, the Bible is not God. The Bible is not a person that we can connect with. Jesus kind of closes the loop, as you might expect, in John chapter 14, verse 6. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus makes a powerful pronouncement about himself. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the path to God, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are the words of Jesus. This is the truth from the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, Jesus is knowable. Jesus is followable. We can live out the way of Jesus. Jesus is liberating. Jesus fights fear and anxiety. It is Jesus who is the bedrock, foundation of everything that is real in this world. Is he for you? That's the ultimate question. The ultimate search for meaning and existence 
comes down to who's Jesus. If you're here today and you've, you've never really stepped into a relationship with him, in just a moment, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. You don't have to, you don't have to pass a test. You don't have to stand up and come forward and, and give a testimony or anything. But the Bible tells us that it just requires a decision prompted by the Holy Spirit, by, by the grace of God, a decision to trust in the Lord with all your heart, to, to follow him with everything that you've got, and, and to, to make that decision definitive. I was over there, now I'm over here. That decision, that decision voice, that decision lived out in a prayer of connecting, in a prayer of surrendering to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender, the one who loves you perfectly, the one who is judge, who is holy, who is love, who is good. If you've never stepped into that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that just right now. Would you mind bowing your heads for just a moment? And as you bow your heads, if you want to begin that relationship, then I want to invite you to pray right where you're sitting. Just a prayer of beginning. Just talk to God and silently right where you are, just say, Lord, I need you. And so I surrender. I will trust you more than I trust myself. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. All of it. I'm holding nothing back from you. In order to claim your forgiveness, all of it. And I will follow you from this moment forward for the rest of my life and beyond. Jesus, I, I believe you are the truth lived out, personified. And I love you. And I will follow you. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, just with your heads bowed for another moment, if that was your prayer, you're surrounded by a family of people who are excited for you, who, who want to help as you begin this new journey in a relationship with Christ. So there, there are a couple of things we want to ask of you, if we could, please. Number one, if you would just let us know that God did that in your life. Take the, the program that you got when you came in this morning. Right now, just open it up. There's a place there to indicate your name and contact information that you're comfortable with. We always keep that in-house. But about halfway down that card, there's a place that says, I committed my life to Christ this week. And after you fill that out, if you would tear it off at the perforation and before you leave just hand that to one of our ushers 
one of our hosts who's wearing one of those cool blue LHC shirts on your way out, just, just hand it to them. Or if you want to talk to someone at the, at the blue awning outside underneath the big porch out here, there'll be folks out there that would love to answer any questions, maybe pray with you, whatever it may, might be. But the second thing, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just, if you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand? If that was your prayer and you stepped into that relationship with the truth, with Jesus, just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment because you need to know that this is real. This, this just happened. And so as a church, as a, as a family around you, we honor that. And we celebrate it with you. And our, our family tradition around here is you can go ahead and put your hands down. We're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.